0: You know, as you think about Christmas, Christmas is so familiar to all of us, but some things that are familiar to us, we, we can kind of sometimes miss the magic of something because, you know, I've heard that before. It's, it's an old story. It's a story that I've uh, been told when I was a little guy and, or a little girl, and now, uh, now that I'm an adult, and it's, uh, it's nothing new. But sometimes when you take a step back, and we were talking on staff just recently as uh, some new people had come uh, last, uh, uh, last year to Christmas Eve services or, or Christmas... Um, uh, Sunday, and one of the things they were talking about, the Advent, and after it was all over, they said, "What, what's, what's the deal with Advent? You know, Advent is a word that talks about coming or arrival, and, and we need to look at it in two different ways. One is that there was that first arrival, and those who were in Israel that day who had been well-versed in the Old Testament, they had, they had heard the promises of, of God sending someone to, to rescue them. And so they were looking for the arrival or the coming or the advent of the promised Messiah. And as we look at now, we don't look forward to Him coming the first time. We look back at when He came the first time. But there are people in Israel, and we had a team of people, a group of people, uh, almost 40 of us that went to Israel, and there, there are some people still in Israel that are looking for the Messiah to come the first time, because they're not quite convinced that Christmas story is the story of the Messiah really arriving on the scene, that promised one. And so this morning, what we want to do, we want to look back at some things that maybe you've heard about in the past, and, and really ask the question, what's up with uh, we, w- we wanted to talk a little bit about today, what's up with Advent. It's about looking at who came on that first Christmas. He's the full expression of who God is. He's the Word. He's the unique one, the only begotten. He is the one full of grace, completely full of grace and, and truth. Uh, and sometimes when we look at the Advent, we look at not the giver, but the gifts. And on the back of your bulletin, it talks about the traditional way to look at the Advent. What is what is God promised to give us? Because He sent Jesus here, He's promised to give us hope in the midst of the world that sometimes we're looking in despair because everything seems to be going wrong rather than going right. Um, we need some hope that there there is some light at the end of the tunnel. And then sometimes when we think about things going wrong on in our own life, we we need some peace, don't we? Because we're, we're experiencing conflict and we're filled with anxiety and worry and. We need to recognize that Jesus came in a world filled with conflict, that he came to say, I'm coming to give you peace. But in the midst of that, not only do we want to have our issues dealt with, but we want to experience life to its fullest. And Jesus, when he came, he announced that he came to give us joy, fullness of joy. But that's all surrounded with the truth that Jesus came because he loves us. So hopefully this Christmas, you, you're, uh, you're dealing with a story that's familiar to you, but in the midst of maybe looking at some of the detail, you can understand more completely what it's all really all about. It's about the Messiah arriving on the scene to give us his gifts, but to, for us to recognize who he is. But I want to look at some other things. Sometimes we look at uh, Christmas, and we're not really sure about some of the other things. What's, what's, what's the deal, or what's up with the shepherds? What's up with the star? You know, what, what's up with uh, Herod, all the things he was doing that, in that particular day? But sometimes we might ask the question, and that's what we're asking today, what's up with the Magi? Now, I think it was uh, last week when, when Matt was sharing some announcements, he said, what's up with the Magi? sounds like something out of a Seinfeld episode. Remember that uh, Seinfeld? One of the familiar things that he would say, what's, what's the deal with, right? Remember that? Uh, if you do some research on that, interesting, it wasn't used as often as we think it was, but the times it was, it was fairly memorable. What's, what's the deal, I don't know if you remember this, what's the deal with coffee? Particularly, what's the deal with decaf coffee? I mean, how, how do they get the caffeine out of coffee? And then after they get the caffeine out, what do they, what do, they do with it? And Jerry very profoundly says, I don't know, I don't know. And then uh, one of the persons came up to him and said, what, what's, uh, what's, what's the deal with Aquaman? Now, Aquaman, can he, can he really only swim in the water, but can he do something on the land? And, and Jerry goes, I don't know. And, and then one that I, I particularly like, partic- particularly as I'm thinking about, uh, you know, all those years I was in school. You know, what's, what's the deal with homework? And the question is, I mean, they don't send you home to work on your home, do they? So why would they call it homework? But actually yesterday, we had some family together up in Lake Arrowhead, and, and uh, we had, uh, sometimes you get everybody together, the meals get bigger. Have you noticed that? And so he said, maybe we can just eliminate one. And so we had this huge breakfast, and when you have a breakfast that's a little bit later in the day, you call it a what? <laughs> brunch. And so the The what's the deal question is, what's the deal with brunch? And that was in one of the episodes, and I had tried to explain this to, uh, actually, Hannah. She was asking, what happened? Because we were having the next big meal, and I said, well, it's dinner. She says, no, it's not dinner. We haven't had lunch yet. And, And so I said, well, we just had brunch. Okay, well, brunch is the combination of breakfast and lunch. And so if you have a combination of a lunch and dinner, isn't there a name for that? Well, that was pretty profound. And I guess there was an episode in Seinfeld that talked about that because uh, he said, what's the deal with brunch? And then the question, well, don't we have a, a liner or a lupper? <laughs> and so sometimes the things that we take for granted, we begin to wonder, well, what's the deal with this? And what we're going to look at this morning, what's the deal with the Magi? And hopefully in sharing some, I hate to put this with anything related to the Bible, dealing with some Christian or Christmas trivia We'll get down and beyond what are some of the things, details about these people we call magi or wise men, Uh, you know, what, what part of the story did they play and what are some things we could know about them beyond what we might see in a Christmas card or sing in a song that we'll really get the lessons of Christmas from that. Because God doesn't want us to simply understand Christmas. He wants us to experience it. He wants us to understand, that this is a, I don't even like to call it a story, this is an event that really happened. And when you're in Israel, you, you read all those stories, or you remember some of the stories you've read in the Old Testament or New Testament, and you realize that this happened in a particular place with people. And there's some archaeological evidence that it wasn't just invented by some Greek mythologist, but it happened in a, in a point in time with people. And it wasn't just to teach them lessons for that period. It was for us to understand that that God is trying to speak to us from the past as he works with us in the present. And we can anticipate what's going to happen in the future. And there is a future. We're not in some endless, you know, multiverse debate about what's going to happen. Is it going to be a utopia or dystopia? God has a plan. And he wants us to get in on it. And he announced it so powerfully at Christmas. But the story of Jesus, of course, did not stay in the cradle. and It then went to the cross. And so as we think about it, God brought this all together in the appointed time that we would take notice, and that this message could powerfully go throughout the world because the Roman Empire had brought relative peace politically, and it built all those roads so the message or the travel or the trade could happen, but Unbeknownst to them, it was so that the gospel, the message about Jesus, the good news about Jesus could be spread everywhere. So what's up with the Magi, or, or what's the deal, or who were they? And I'm going to try to answer just some simple questions, you know, the, kind of the who, the, the when, and the how, and the what, as we just look at some familiar characters in the Christmas story, and, and what, uh, what do they have for us to maybe experience Christmas a little bit more meaningfully, you know, we talk about have a merry Christmas. And I think that way to have a merry Christmas is to have a meaningful Christmas. To understand it be more than the lights and the presents. And those are, are great experiences to have with family and, and experience the joy of just seeing things and experiencing the songs that are sung at this, this time of the year. But to make it meaningful to understand there's a, there's a message in the sense of being beyond having a merry Christmas. And sometimes we can get that by, by looking at those who experienced it. Isn't that sometimes how we we learn about things? People go to some place, they they experience uh, an event or go to a concert, and we we pester them with questions. Well, tell me about it. You want to experience it through their experience. And that's what we're going to try to do with the Magi uh, this morning. So who were they? Magi. Now, all of you are very uh, much into the Greek language, so I thought I would just kind of spell this out a little bit. But, you know, the, the word magi really comes from a, a Greek word that we don't translate. In some of your Bible Bibles that you use or you've read through, uh, really it's a Greek word that's just transliterated. It's in the Greek, uh, the word for magi is magoi in the plural and magi magos in the singular, and we've uh, kind of transformed it into our language as being magi. But really, when we do read in certain Bibles or texts, uh, the word magi or magoi is, uh, if it were to be translated, it simply means wise men. And, and so as these people arrived on the scene at that Christmas event, uh, these people who were from afar came as wise men that had figured something out that they wanted to get in on. But what were were these wise men all about? Well, interestingly enough, they they were very well-learned. Some would describe them as scientists uh, uh, in where they lived. Uh, They were also known as magicians. They were not only to be able to do things by sleight of hand, but they were able to really do some things that fascinated others. Uh, They were astronomers. Uh, some, depending upon their worldview, were astrologists. They would look into the skies, and they would, they would try to determine eras and seasons and be able to travel based on what was up there in the heavens. And, and so they were fascinated with things that, that others were as well, and they became very learned and could explain things to other people. But to go on another step, and particularly as we think about why we're here, we're, we're talking about spiritual things, uh, how did they look at things beyond them? They, they were not uh, what we would classically call atheists or agnostics. They, they believed there was a God. And in that day, as well as in our day as well, there are some people who, who don't believe in God and some people who do believe in God. And some people who do believe in God believe there are many gods out there. In fact, they look at all parts of creation and they might uh, name a god for the moon or for the sun or for the, the certain parts of the weather or whether it might be. Uh, but the, these, and particularly these magi, these wise men, came from a place in which they had become monotheists, which simply means this. They believed there was a God and there is a God, but this is, there was a one God. There was a supreme being that, that brought all this into existence, which is a good place to be because if, you're, if you're, you have multiple gods and somehow you got to defend your faith or explain your faith with multiple deities out there. And we're really convinced that there really is only one God and that one God has revealed himself. And so this is where they were coming from. But where were they from? And what was their nationalities? Well, they have a history, but they were now part of what you would call the Parthian Empire. Now, again, I'm, I'm not a particularly avid historian, but as you look at uh, that period of time, we, we all know that as Jesus was birth and the event. He was born in the nation of Israel. But Israel was under uh, the rule of who? Rome. And normally when we think about that, Rome had really conquered the entire world. But though it had conquered the, most of the world, there were still spots where they had not taken over. And there was another primary empire that was close to them. It was the Parthian Empire. Now, we probably know more of it about because there was the, the, the Empire of Persia. And so they were far from the east in this empire that was, in some ways, a rival to even Rome. Israel would be considered a, a minor nation to them, but, but these wise men, these magi, were coming from there. They not only had civic responsibilities, they had leadership, those who were in positions of power, uh, but they were also very religious. They were known also as priests of of uh, their particular uh, bent toward believing in a supreme being. There's a lot of debate in terms of what God they believed in. One name I came, Ahura Mazada. And that's the only time I'm going to pronounce it because I have no idea that's the, if that's the way, right way to pronounce it. But Zoroaster was one of their high priests, and, and he kind of bent them toward believing in that one God that he had named. Uh, but they were also known as interpreters. Interpreters in the sense as they, as they thought about life and as, as people had experiences in life, they, they try to bring rationality or reason or explanation of what they're going through. And I think everyone wants that in life, don't you? As, as life happens, and, and we're having all kinds of things happen in our nation today, would you agree? I mean, it is just, it, it is hard to explain all that's going on in our culture today, in every, in every dimension, and this is what part of their role was, to try to make sense of things that did not make sense. And we are in a rapidly changing society. And that's what the Magi were all about. But what I want to talk about a little bit is sometimes when we think about the Magi or the wise men, we will sing songs about them. We three, what? Kings of Orient are. But I want to submit to you that if we were really to, to sing that song a little bit more correctly or accurately we would say it this way we three king of orient are they weren't in that position of being the the power people of the day but they were the they were beho- the people of power behind the scene they were the ones who would influence who would have come to that next position of being in control of of the empire and as we think about that, this is one of the reasons, as we'll see in a moment, when we look at the, the major account of the Magi arriving on the scene before Herod, uh, there was a response by Herod. And the response was one that he, he, was, he was bothered, he was upset by them. And the reason was because they were a threat to his power base. They might not have been kings, but they were king makers, and they are wondering what he, they were going to do in, in relationship to his power. The other thing I want to make, and this is a very simple, they, they were Gentiles. Now, for the longest period of time, when I was in church and reading the Bible, I'd read that word Gentiles and go, what in the world does that mean? The, the word Gentiles, in terms of our understanding, is very simply, all, in the Bible, when you hear or read the word Gentile, all it means is these people aren't Jewish. And this is significant as we think about the story of Christmas and the part that the Gentiles played, uh, that the Magi played, is that they were Gentiles, meaning they were non-Jewish, is the message of Christmas it is that God is no longer narrowing how he is specifically working with people through the Jewish nation. Now, he still has a plan for them. He's still using them in a unique way. But now the message is for everyone directly. You don't have to go through the door of Judaism to, to get to God. And as we, see, as we see the first worshipers of Jesus, it, were, it was these Gentiles who came from afar to find out who this star was leading them to that they had really read about in the past and we'll look at in a moment. And really, as we think about what Christmas is all about, it's it's being amazed at the majesty of the story. But to recognize that, that God is driving us and driving everyone. Not simply to know about Jesus, but, but bow down before him to worship him. Not because he was a more beautiful baby than any other baby. Not because there were fireworks going off in heaven is because this was God become flesh, who was becoming one of us, not to have some kind of mag- magic trick or, or a parlor trick. It was, it was to explain completely and fully who God is because God had become one of us so we could know him. And really, that's the last word in there is that they were worshipers. It's quite possible as we think about the, the magi, the wise men, particularly the ones who arrived on this scene, they came on the scene, and and really they had already come to that first place in their life where they were already believers. Believers in what God had already said, and they were simply anticipating the one, and when when they saw the light that shone the way, they raced to see him. Think about Christmas. Christmas is all about recognizing why did Jesus come? So that we would know him and and understand his worth, which is what worship is all about. Now, of course, for many of us, that's, that's my introduction to the Magi. Just how many were there? Now, if you look at any Christmas card or if you sing this song, we know how many there were. There were what? There were three. And tradition has that we can even name them. Uh, Gaspar, Belfashar, and uh, Melchior. However, the Bible really doesn't tell us how many there were. Quite probably, there were much more than three. Part of the reason I say this, and just, I want to use the Bible a little bit here today. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, which is really kind of a section here. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, In the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And the reason all Jerusalem was troubled is when Herod was troubled, (laughs) you better be troubled, all right? He He was a murderous tyrant in many ways. When when something didn't go right, he put blame on somebody else and he would often take their lives. But when these magi showed up, when these wise men showed up, I, I want to submit to you, it's quite probable that here you have this king in Jerusalem area, had over power over that geographical area that had rose to prominence in a variety of different ways. There was really no threat to his his throne right then. But when these kingmakers, these wise men showed up, he was, he was troubled. I want to submit to you, they probably wouldn't have been troubled if only three of them had shown up. And much of what I read about, there, there are many who are convinced that, it, that there was a, a calvary of wise men that showed up that day. There were many that, that rode on horseback. In fact, that would now take away one of our other pictures of the Magi. They might not have come on camels. We got a chance to ride camels and and uh, in Israel and we thought we were magi but maybe they were riding horses all right there were many that showed up and they showed up in power or at least a threat to the throne in reality that's often what happens at Christmas as well there 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 is there is an invitation to know this this God who announces his love who wants to give us that peace and experience his joy and fill our lives with hope but there is a challenge isn't there because what he's asking for us is, is to bow down and recognize that he, that he is Lord. That, that he is our maker and he's the one who should direct our lives. And, and Herod was threatened by that. He didn't, he didn't want someone to take his throne. But we need to recognize when we really experience Christmas, that's what we do. We, we open up our chest and we look at the throne that's in our heart. And we say, if we really understand who Jesus is, we invite him into our life to to save us, but to now lead us and direct us. And Herod wanted none of that. And these men who showed up, probably more than three, probably a cavalry of them, was a threat to what Herod saw himself as. The leader of everyone around him, and he he wanted no one to take charge of his life. Now, as you think about that, how do they they even even think about going from a distance from the east to come all the way to Jerusalem? Why would they make this this trip? Well, it's quite probable, and we know that it is a a biblical account, that they had been influenced by a prophet in the Old Testament. And this prophet's name is is Daniel. And just looking at one passage, we could look at... Uh, a couple there, In, in Daniel chapter two. We, we have Daniel. If you know the story at all, if you don't, that's all right. I'll give you a little bit of a words eye view of that. Daniel was was captured from Jerusalem by the Babylonian Empire, and, and when that happened, uh, they they did everything to, to change who he was. I mean, they, they they changed his name. They tried to change his diet. They uh, probably made him a eunuch. They they, they tried to change his religion. Probably his language as well. Everything was supposed to be, they'd taken him from not only his homeland, but from his family. And you think, if there's, if there's anyone who's going to be indoctrinated at a young age, it would be a person like Daniel. But somehow Daniel, in, in a, at a younger age, had come into a real relationship with the living God. And that's part of the good news of Christmas as well. Christmas is for every age then, uh, Lord, we're going to have some children come up here and sing for us uh, this morning. And as we think about them, we, we need to understand that even though their faith might be at a young age, it can be a real faith because they understand who this Christmas is all about. It's, it's about Jesus coming for us. And, and so in Daniel chapter, nine, uh, chapter 2, we, we have this uh, statement about uh, Daniel. And uh, let me just read to you, just real briefly on this, and then we'll, then we'll move on. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 48, we have Daniel arriving on the scene, and, and uh, the king's in trouble, and he needs some help. And Daniel, he, he, he solves the problem. We won't go any longer than that, but in Daniel chapter 9, chapter 2, verse 48, uh, then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief perfect or leader over all the wise men of Babylon so he, he, here this uh, little Jewish boy we don't know particularly what age he was but he, he arrived on the scene of Babylon and he was just going to be the servant of the king but he prophetically and wisely was able to deal with Nebuchadnezzar's problem who was the, the, the supreme ruler of that day and, and when that happened the reward for that he said look you know all these other wise men who couldn't do what you could do you're now going to be in charge of them. And, and Daniel was was, uh, was a man that he that followed after God. And, and as we follow after God and we understand who God is, not only do, do we believe it, and not only do we want to live it out, not only do we want to experience fully, we want to share that with, with others. And I'm sure Daniel began to doctrin- indoctrinate those who were trying to indoctrinate them. him. I'm sure Daniel was trying to... to to change minds and hearts as he told them the truth. And there are a variety of passages in Daniel that kind of speak, particularly in Daniel chapter 9, about the one who was to come and even the time frame that was to happen. And, and so as they had read that over centuries, they began to recognize that, that Daniel had talked about this promised one, this prince that was to arrive on the scene. And so they were eager to see when that began to happen, that they wanted to travel where that would be. In, in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, there, there's a prophecy by Balaam, who, who was actually not the best of prophets in terms of, of what he wanted to do to Israel, but he talked about a star that would arise. And when that happened, they began to put the things together and say, We want to be where we really believe that, that God will visit this planet. And we want to come, and not just to, to see, uh, be curious about what's happening, but we want to come and worship him. Which really speaks about they were students of Scripture. And you can look up those other passages if you want to later on. But they, they, they came because God had spoken into their lives in the past, and they're being ready for what God was doing in the present. And they are putting confidence in him for their future. And really, isn't that what life's all about? That, that God wants us to learn from what he has done in the past. Christmas has already happened, in case you haven't figured that out. You know, we're, not, we're not looking for Christmas to happen on December 25th. But it has happened. And because it has happened, and we're convinced, as we heard this morning, that it's the truth. And if we put our confidence in the one who said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. We can enter into a relationship with him right now. And and we enter into a relationship because what he's done in the past, we can now live for Him right now in the present. And we can have confidence in the future that our future is settled. We've had people in our own church just recently pass away. And and the good news about that in the midst of the grief and the sorrow is we, we know where they are. Because they, they put their faith in Jesus in the past. And they were living every day up to that moment until God took them home. And we know where their future is. That's what Christmas is all about. And, and the Magi got it. That's why, that's why they, they arrived on the scene. That's who they were. But when did they come? And here, here I'll go a lot quicker, right? When did they come? Can I just tell you They came at the right time. They came at the appointed time. Galatians 4, 4 said so that's when Jesus came at the right time, at the appointed time, and that's when they came. Uh, exactly when did they come? Well, they probably came around December 25th, but they didn't arrive at the birth of Jesus. And, and we know that for a variety of different reasons. Um, because they really came to celebrate Jesus. They weren't right there to see the birth, him coming out of the birth canal. They came to see the, the promised one. And, and we know that he, they, he didn't, they didn't see him at at the birth, because they didn't, they didn't come to him you know, outside in the cave uh, where the, there was no room in the inn. They came later on when he was in the house. They came to, uh, to, to uh, Herod and talked about, who who is this one who has come to be born? It, it was already, it already had happened. And some of us, we really fret about, well, did, did Jesus really get born on December 25th? You know the answer to that? We don't know. The Bible doesn't give a specific date of when Jesus came. We know the time frame because of other things that happened in his life. And the reason he didn't give us a specific date, because we didn't need to know. It, 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 what's the deal with the date? It's not about whether we have it on December 25th, and there's all kinds of reasons why some feel it is on December 25th, some reasons why people don't believe it's on December 25th, that same era of time, whether it was months earlier or months later. Some of the problem is, well, would the would the shepherds have been shepherding the sheep in the cold of night, you know, around wintertime. And I'm thinking, well, what else would you do with those sheep in the cold wintertime? I've been there in January, and I've seen around Bethlehem, and I've seen sheep around Bethlehem. There were shepherds there. So, but it doesn't really matter what date it happened on. But what really matters is, did it happen? And, And the reasons we believe it happened, one is all the prophecies that were fulfilled but also all the lives have been changed because of that singular event that happened where God arrived on the scene. So who were the Magi? They were the, they were the wise men. They were the ones who came to worship. They were the ones who came because they had been told in the past through a prophet that God had sovereignly brought into a land in which he thought and everyone else thought that maybe he would be changed by the influences of what was happening in his world, but God had touched his life Given him a message, and he'd pass it on to those who'd be the wise men that would arrive on the scene around the birth of Jesus. We don't know what date, doesn't really matter, but it matters that it happened. Well, how did they come? And here real quickly, we need to recognize they came from a great distance. I mentioned they weren't in the Roman Empire. They were in the Parthian Empire. They were from the east. Most estimates is they, they took an 800 or 900-mile Trek in Jerusalem. Now, about how many? How many of ever uh, rode on a horse? Okay. Now, most of when we ride on a horse, about how long do we ride? And usually, it's on a trail run, right? It's a half hour, maybe an hour. Now, I know Jack. He he, he used to work with horses all the time. But but you know, if you're going to go on an eight hundred or nine hundred mile horse ride, you better be ready for that, right? <laughs> I don't care how good you're at. You're going to be a little sore at the end of that race, right? Or at yeah, that race, of that run. And we need to recognize that as we think about how did they come, they came at great distance. And you could say at great cost. This isn't, I'm going to go to the Rose Parade this year. I'm going to drive 30 miles uh, an hour down, the, well, to me what time you go in the morning, down to, the, to Pasadena. This was, this was not just an idle trek. 800 or 900 miles from where they live. Obviously, it would take great courage. I mean, they're going in lands probably they had never been before. They're going from one empire into another empire, from the Parthian Empire to the Roman Empire. They probably were not too surprised that even when they showed up, because they had heard the stories about Herod, that he was, he was troubled by them, and even though they might have come in force, they recognized no matter how you counted the numbers, they were, they were in the minority, not the majority. Herod could bring many more troops than they could probably in terms of the, the group that came. So they came at great cost, they came at great distance, they came with great courage. But we also know they came bearing what? Great gifts. And, and we could spend a whole sermon on this, and I've already used all my time, so I'm not going to do that. But we, we're all pretty familiar with what, he, what they brought. They, they brought gold and, and frankincense and, and myrrh. Now, for most of us, we, we got a, a little of an idea what gold is, right? Raise your hand if so you know what gold is, right? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a precious metal. It's, it's things you make rings out of and, and um, earrings and necklaces, and it, it's, it's pretty valuable. It used to be that all, of, uh, all the world was, was based on the gold standard. I mean, what, what's the basis for the value of the, the money you print? And as we think about what, why, why would you bring gold to a, a little baby? Because somehow you look at the baby unlike any other baby. And they, they recognize the significance of this one who, whom they traveled a great distance to see. But not only to see, but to worship. And why did they worship him? Because they believed in who he was. He was the promised one who was to come. In the scriptures, if you think about gold, it's, gold was worthy of the position as king. And so they gave a gift worthy of someone to be the ruler. When Jesus comes again, the Bible describes he's going to be a king of kings and lord of lords. He came in his humility the first time. But he's coming in his power and all his royalty on display. And they recognize that at his first coming. And then you see the gifts of frankincense now frankincense again, most of us i you know unless I read about it i don 't know anything about frankincense, but basically it was a resin in which you would make a perfume it could also be used in medicinal purposes It was used in a special way with a particular group of people frankincense it was It was used in the priesthood of of Israel in many places as well that that had a religious background. And so you think about Jesus being the king of kings and the Lord of Lords. That makes sense. He, he got a gift of gold. But Franken says, well, what is that picture about Jesus? The Bible picture of Jesus as the high priest. Now, in our tradition, you, you would never come up to me or, I mean, you shouldn't come up to me and, and say, well, how you doing, priest Mike, you know? Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a priest uh, in the sense of how often we think about that, where, where somehow I'm more special than anybody else. That if, if you really need to get to God, you've got to uh, gotta get to me first, and then I talk to God, then I tell you whether God thinks your, your prayer was good enough. You know? that's, not, that's not my role. I don't stand be, between you and God. That's basically what a priest did. And the high priest was the one uniquely, unlike all the other priests, would would stand before God. But when Jesus came, he finally fulfilled all of that, which was a shadow of what was to come, which was the Messiah. That he is the once and for all high priest who stands before us and God. We, We don't pray to any other saints. We don't pray to any other people. You don't, you don't go to any holy man to somehow get your prayers answered quicker or faster or better than somebody else. And, and, and this is not to criticize other traditions. This is simply to say that Jesus is the high priest, which means he is the, the one who can, who can minister and serve you like no other because he is like no other. He is the sweet aroma that goes up to God. He is the one who is the great healer. He is the one who Who solves everything that is wrong in our life. He's the high priest. He's worthy of of being anointed with frankincense. And then we have myrrh. And myrrh is, again, a a substance in which things were put together where you would anoint people in a, a ceremonial way. And particularly myrrh was used to, to anoint a prophet who would, who would come. And, and Jesus uniquely is the prophet. I don't have it in your outline this morning, but Deuteronomy chapter 18.15, it, it says this, that there would be one coming like Moses, it would be way beyond Moses, because he would be the prophet of God. And uniquely in all the Bible, no one is ever described as someone having all three offices, king, high priest, and prophet. Because that would be reserved only to the one who was to come, the promised one. What is a prophet? A prophet is one who speaks for God, speaks the the words of God, the will of God. And and that's why Jesus came, to to speak the truth, so we could know the one who is the truth. But you know, myrrh was not only used to anoint someone who would take on the role of a prophet, but it would also speak of one who would be anointed at death. And when you think about being a prophet, in many ways, you look back at the Old Testament, there were some amazing men who had that role of being a prophet, and, and, and they, they were powerful people. But you know, even though they were powerful people, it was, it was not really a, a pleasant job. Because what they would sometimes say things, often say things that people didn't want to hear. Anybody like to tell people what they don't want to hear? And, and often when they would say it in a powerful way, there would come a place in, in, in their experience of being a prophet is that they would not only shun them, but they would kill them see Jesus as the, the once and for all final prophet he, he was not only the one who could gather a crowd and they would, they would be amazed at what he would speak because he, he spoke with authority he wasn't like people like me you know preachers sometimes when I'm preaching here I've told you many times before I, I, can, I, can, I can recognize sometimes I, I don't stop speaking but you've already stopped listening right <laughs> they never did that with Jesus I mean, they always wanted to hear more because he was the prophet, the one who spoke the truth about God because he was God. But like all the other prophets, in fact, the Bible, Jesus even spoke about it, that God would send forth his son thinking, well, they, they won't kill my son, but they killed the son of God. And Jesus willingly gave up his life after speaking the truth about God so that they experience the truth in God. So who are these magi? They're amazing men. They were filled with wisdom because they had been grounded in the scriptures. They had listened to Daniel. They had been given the opportunity to look at passages that would point about the time in which the Messiah was to come. And even a star that would arrive on the scene that they would after follow. They were a group of people that would come and do whatever they could to get to to find who this promised one was to come. We don't know exactly when they arrived on the scene. It was after the birth of Jesus. They went at great distance, at great cost, bearing great gifts. But what should we learn from the Magi? And this is this is where I'll close this morning. And I think we could all could come up with this. But... What do we learn about them from that first Christmas? Is they made sacrifices. It was not an easy journey to find this one who had been promised. Centuries in the past that would arrive on the scene, that would change literally everything and everyone who put their faith in him. And they did whatever it took to get to him. And that's a question each one of us has to ask. Well, what sacrifices am I willing to make to really have a meaningful Christmas and not just a merry one? Am I willing to wrestle with just who is this Christ in the manger? Who is this one who went from the cradle to the cross? Am I willing to give up control of my life to the one who loves me so much that he died for me? they made sacrifices at christmas they searched the scriptures and maybe you're here this morning so i need to need i need to know more well this is this is a book filled with truth and hopefully you got friends or family that that understand the truth and they can help guide you through that's why we have a church you don't come to church just because it's a religious practice you you come to church because you want to learn about who jesus is they search the scriptures And even when you come to know Jesus, you don't stop because I know about Jesus. You want to know him in a a deeper way. And so they were students of Scripture. You've probably heard that cliche, wise men still seek him. But that's one of the lessons. They sought after Jesus. They they, they didn't get discouraged by whatever challenges were before them. They, They went after it. And then finally, and this is, this is the passage that really strikes again at their hearts. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. After coming to the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother and they fell to the ground and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. What happened when they arrived there? They fell down and saw how much he was worthy of to be praised and worshipped, and they committed their lives to Him. What is Christmas all about? It's understanding what happened, but then understanding what does that mean for you and for me. Are we willing to follow Jesus no matter what the cost? Are we willing to make sacrifices? Are we willing to wrestle that the Scripture paints a clear story, of the event? Are we willing to seek him with all that's in our heart? And then really, what is is a true faith? A true faith is surrendering to the truth of whatever you're confident is true. And see, faith is not a leap in the dark, it's a leap into the light. Believing that this is true, that God loved us so much that he sent his only unique son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is is what Christmas is for you and for me. To know the one who changes everything because he can take whatever's wrong in our life, and we got plenty of wrong things in our life, and he can forgive us for everything that we've done that dishonors him, and then invites us into a loving, ongoing relationship with the God who came for us. I conclude with the so what. Are you going to be wise this Christmas? And wherever you are in your journey, whether you're not quite there yet, but you're this close, take one more step. Or maybe you've known Jesus for many times, for many years, many months, whatever it is. But it's so easy to get so familiar with the story, you miss the significance of it for you. Wise men, wise women, whatever their age, still seek him with all of their heart. Have a wise Christmas. Why make it not only merry, but meaningful, because you know who is the Jesus of Christmas. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I... As I think about the Magic of Christmas, a story that I've known for now so many years, it always brings me back to the point well, how do I get in on it? And I think we need to make it simple. It's not easy, but we need to make it simple and clear. It's as simple as the ABCs. It's, it's A, admitting my need, my need to know this one who came as his name speaks about. Jesus came to save us from our sin to forgive us of our sin. But it all begins with me admitting my need and turning from my sin. And then B, it's all about believing, trusting in, relying upon that this story is true, that God did invade history and became a child and then grew up to, to be the Savior by dying on the cross and being in the tomb and then raising from the dead. And then C, making that choice, that, that commitment, to say, I, I do believe, I do, I do want to have you change me from the inside out. Come into my life right now. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. I want to know the true Christ of Christmas by following him. And when we do that, then everything changes because we put our trust in him. And we praise in Jesus' name, amen.